0: It's too early to cry, but man, okay, I preach my best when I talk to teenagers, so um, let's pretend today I'm talking to you guys, thank you so much for being here, I love every last one of you, and you guys get to peek in on this, all right, um, we'll just put it like that, I've spent the better part of the last 15 or 20 years sharing with students, I have absolutely no regrets about that. Uh, we don't have a ton of time. So uh, I'll give you the quick rundown as I turn to my passage that I want to share with you guys today. I'm going to bring a message to you called, We Can't Stay Here. All right? And it's essentially about stewarding your purpose unto the glory of God. I'm going to be speaking from Luke chapter 9. A little bit about myself. I'm an INFJ. For those of you that know Myers-Briggs, INFJ is a bit like a unicorn. It's a very rare personality type. Um, God made me who he made me. I'm an Enneagram one with a two wing, if you know what that is. If you don't know what Enneagram is, it's not like Instagram. It's totally different. Um, and I love Jesus. I love people. I love the arts. And sometimes I I still really like sports. Um, so I want to share with you today from Luke nine and uh, we're just going to go there. We're just going to jump right into it. Okay. Uh, I'm stoked to be here with you guys this morning because I talk to students all the time. I say words like stoked. Um, so you'll just have to deal with it. Okay. Uh, In Luke nine, Jesus, along with James, Peter, and John, uh, he takes them up a mountain and he says, uh, starting in verse 27 of Luke chapter nine, he says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James, and he went up the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, is it good for us to be here? Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful and entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days of any of the things that they had seen. Let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, you're worthy. You are the most worthy purpose and person in our lives. And we surrender this time and this moment, this margin of our hearts to you completely. And we thank you that as we hear your word, that you, unlike any other force in this world, is able to make change in us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus calls out the 12 and his words are not much different in this moment than when he initially calls them out. He simply says, hey, follow me. And there's beautiful implications in this passage. I could talk to you about the theology and we could super nerd out about this uh, in the way that a Bible teacher totally could, uh, but we don't have that much time. So let me tell you a story of my own though about a man that I knew in my life. Uh, His his given name was Claude, but you can can refer to him as my Uncle Moe. My Uncle Mo was an interesting man because my Uncle Mo was a, what you might describe as a really rough and tumble character. My dad grew up uh, more in the in the throes of his moment knowing what he was like, but he would tell me stories about, you know, experiencing my Uncle Mo coming home from like bar fights, getting stabbed and bleeding and just like going out and charging at life again and just kind of doing whatever. He's like this, this rough guy. And growing up, uh, all I knew was that You know, he, he didn't say a lot, but he was, he had become wealthy. He was, when he passed away, he was a self-made millionaire. He had multiple real estate homes and he had built like an empire of convenience stores just as a hustler. He was, that's just what he was. He was just a hustler, plain and simple. And he wasn't the type of guy who would be inclined to say yes to Jesus on any level. In fact, he was probably the type of guy who was inclined to say yes to his own impulse more than anything else. But, He eventually did surrender his life to Jesus on his deathbed. And I have my dad to thank for being able to lead him to that. I have my dad to thank who's here with me today for leading me to the cross. But at his funeral, they played a song, which I think is really interesting. And the song they played was a song by Elvis. I did it my way. Maybe you know that song. Maybe you know the Frank version. Frank, when when I say Frank, I mean Sinatra. You got to know. All right. But... Frank and Elvis both had a version of this, but can I just say to you, I think, I think that's the song they'll be playing in hell. And we think a lot about hell as a punishment, uh, but what if hell is, is also more like a holding bay reserved for those people who simply said, you know what, God, I've seen you and I know I could have tasted of all your goodness, but I don't want it. I just want to do it my way. You know, what if what if that's, What if God says, all right, if you want it your way, there it is. Now you're all together in the same place. I'm just challenging your thoughts a little bit this morning. Wanting your will versus his. My Uncle Mo was like that and um, I'm so glad he eventually gave his life to Jesus. Now in this story... These men are having a mountain experience. There's a similar mountain experience in the Old Testament. Moses, he goes up to Mount Sinai because God is going to speak to him. And Aaron, his his homie, he gets left down in the valley with the people. And Moses, his ear is inclined to hear what God has to say to him. But Aaron, he and the nation of Israel decide to build build a golden calf because his ear is bent by culture and the people. One man is turned towards God, one man is turned towards the world. I work with young men a lot, so I ask myself a lot, what is the motivation of men? What is the motivation of men? I've told my students before that, that by the time you're, you're 15, 16, 17 years old, you know pretty much what you already believe. So what is that, what is that motivation? Because what shapes the desires of a man shapes the man so for me at 25 years of age, I'm graduating college and I'm thinking, oh man, this is amazing. You know, I've been a a star athlete most of my life. I was good at sports. I was good at art. I was kind of good at whatever I put my hands to. And I kind of, I kind of prescribed that more to God's favor than just my own ability, but I didn't realize that just yet. So coming out of college, I go into my first teaching position, uh, having a, a master's in education and I'm teaching in a really rough area and the first six months it's just like it's hellacious it's the only way to describe it it's like all hell broke loose I was in this relationship I thought I'm radically in love with this girl this is gonna happen we gonna get married you know and it's gonna be amazing and she breaks up with me and she's like no and I'm like no and I'm like so devastated by this. My students are like crazy. There's like screaming at me throughout different days during the school year. So, you know, I'm getting stuff stolen from me from my students. I'm like, come on, man. And now I'm living in this moment of like heartache and loss and brokenness. And can I just tell you that it was, wasn't until this brokenness that I really started to grasp the fullness of God's will and the real demands of the gospel. The, what it would require of me, what, what God would start to pull out of me because he's just so gracious. This account in Luke is also recorded in Matthew and the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, as a prerequisite to what's happening, Jesus says, okay, you wanna really know the cost of what it's like to follow me? He says, here it is. First, you must deny yourself Take up your cross daily and follow me. Prior to this encounter in my life, you know, I was even the president of Campus Crusade for Christ in my school, but I'm just not sure I was, I was a full disciple of Jesus. I think I was more of a disciple of culture, if I could say that to you. And I knew about the personal dream. But the personal dream was a little scary because it was kind of like this, you know, if the Bible's like a cosmic Aladdin's lamp, you know, you rub it, you say a prayer. If you stand on one foot and the earth is tilted at the right axis and there's like a solar eclipse and Polaris is right above you, you know, and you're on the right radio frequency, then God might answer your prayer. I knew about that, but that, that kind of makes God to be more of a utility, doesn't it? Like a wrench. I just need you to fix my mess. And I knew about the, you know, I knew about following your heart, which is the Disney dream. That's Mulan, follow your heart. And I also knew about the American dream. You know, the, the stories we love of people overcoming mad diversity, bro. And I, look at me, I'm a success now. Success being defined by just the fact that we have money, because that's pretty much how our culture defines success. So I knew about the personal dream. I knew about the Disney dream. I knew about the American dream. But what about the gospel dream? Jesus does not say, follow your dreams. He doesn't say, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And I couldn't reconcile this in my heart. I knew of no other way to step out of what I'd stepped into except to say, okay, I've reached the end of myself. I'll follow you. This is my first point for you today, follow The first words to the disciples, they're over by the water, mending their nets. Hey, follow me. Hey, he looks legit. Let's go. You know, they just (laughs) seems to have a lot of authority. Come on, let's, he really looks like he knows what he's doing, you know? Can I tell you this morning, leadership and discipleship doesn't begin with how you lead. It begins with how you follow. I've been around a lot of pastors, leaders and entrepreneurs. I had one guy once tell me, well, you're just a youth pastor. I thought, thank you very much. Yes, I am. Some of them were very godly men and some of them said they were godly men but time told me the difference because i was able to see through the power of observation that's why you can't underestimate students that's why you can't underestimate these young men over here you can't underestimate your sons and your daughters because the power of observation is strong they're watching you but time told me ultimately who was fully surrendered to the will of god some of these men they were totally about kingdom business some of these men were just about themselves when faced with a challenge, can I say, it's always better to build the kingdom of God than to build your own empire. You have an opportunity to build his kingdom or build his empire. And as a young man, for me, this seemed a lot more simple because I had less skin in the game. It was just me doing my thing, you know? Like I had like a car and you know, maybe like a couple like snacks and some Debbie cakes or whatever and stuff. And, and you know, college life is crazy because most of the time you're, you're, you know, you're not poor, you're college poor, right? And that's the next level. I don't eat ramen noodles this day. I hate those things. Oh my gosh. I, I'm serious. And so now I have more skin in the game. I have a family, I have a career. I have a reputation of sorts. I've got, I've got things that I can lose. And it's different now too because I've tasted success. You know what that's like? You do something and you taste of success and you find yourself thinking, man, look what, look what I did, God did. Look what I, I mean, God did, I did, right? <laughs> Don't ever overlook this. I know for some of you, this might seem a little oversimplified, but if you ever find yourself thinking, man, you know, I, I think I can have a go at this. I think I can really do this. You know, for me, the thing that tempts me in this moment is I say, you know what, I'm talented enough. Would you go ahead and put that slide up, the points? I want you to look at this phrase. What words falls into that slot for you? I am, for me, it's I'm talented enough. For you, it might be, oh, I'm I'm smart enough. I'm funny enough. I'm, I'm like me, I'm talented enough. I'm strong enough. You know what? I am, I'm experienced enough. I'm successful enough. I'm charismatic enough. I'm, pff, I'm wealthy enough. I'm strategic enough. I'm clever enough. I'm man enough. But can I tell you that you're enough regardless will never be enough without the master's plans because only Jesus is enough. Yeah. Is Trandy here this morning? I don't think he is. Trandy's kind of the superintendent of LCS. He's a good dude. Uh, When I came on board last year, uh, he probably had no idea and and he's not here to hear this, but you guys get to, it's equally cool. He he pulled me aside in the hallway this past year and he said, hey, uh, Matt, you know, I've been wondering if you would kind of help direct LCS and the arts and move it in a direction to where it can be equally potent along with the sports program here at LCS. And I thought, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of like underplaying this at the moment, but I'm thinking, yeah, all right, sure. This is cool. What he did not understand is in that single conversation, he didn't see me when I was a 19-year-old young man sitting at a message where John Piper's speaking at a conference, and I had a yellow legal pad with paper just like this, and the Holy Spirit starts knocking on my heart. And the thing he wrote to me was like, help establish a Christ-centered school for the arts. I wrote that down when I was 19 years old, 19, man. I'm 37. I've been holding onto this thing for almost 20 years, thinking, God, when are you gonna do this? Racking my brain thinking, how is this gonna happen? How are you gonna make this come to pass? Can I just say, when you commit to follow Jesus somehow, some way, by the shape of of his marvelous hand, he does things that I can't describe. But in two minutes, he had done what I had been trying to manifest in 20 years. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not that we don't work, it's just that we go where he leads. And so as you get experienced, you're gonna be challenged to trust in your own capacity. Remember, it's not just him who makes the way, he, he is the way. The way is a person. So what's your direction? What's your motivation right now? There is no more sound instruction for leadership and discipleship and the whole of the word than these simple two words follow me. Follow me. So the disciples, they commit. They're like, yeah, we gonna follow this dude. Following you all around the place. Following you up this mountain right now. Why? Why are we here, Jesus? I'm sure they're thinking that, right? Like, hey, just let's go up a mountain. What's funny is in, in some of the other gospels, like Jesus rebukes Peter. He doesn't talk to him for like six days. He's like, oh, hey, let's go up this mountain. It's like, You just shut me down, man. Like, and then you left me hanging for six days. If any one of your friends did this, you'd be like, bro, you ghosted me on the phone for six days, what's going on, man? Like, now he's like, hey, let's go up a mountain. Like, Jesus, you are crazy. But that's what he says. And then it happens. I brought this with me today. This is a a tactical flashlight, okay? This thing is bright, all right? So I'm just gonna sweep it. Over the crowd, real quick, all right, so that you don't, your eyes don't die, and you still have a retina when you leave this place. Um, but this thing is mega bright, and as these disciples get up to the top of this mountain with Jesus, this is what happens: like he's changed. It says, it says in the book of Matthew that his countenance actually shone like the sun. In verse 29 of Luke 9, it says, his appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. He's transfigured. The literal nature of who he is is changed. So much so that they're like, hold on a minute, I got to grab some Ray-Bans so I can look back at you. And it's and it's It's too much. It's too much. He was Jesus, now he's like extra Jesus. And they're like, what's going on? And the true significance of this is that in this moment, the Romans are oppressing Israel and these people are like, give us a political king. We want a political king. Yeah, we need a dude that could come in. He could kick tail. He could take names. He can pull out the AK. He can lay them, bust us down. He can handle everybody. We need that kind of guy to rule this place. Help us get back to our golden age. Others look at him and say like, yeah, Some say you're uh, like John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet Elijah. But just before that, Jesus pulls a fast one in Luke 9. He says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Interestingly enough, this is the question every man has to answer. Every man has to answer this question in his heart. Who do you say that he is? And he's like, you know what? Rather than tell you, let me show you, boom. Now he's so bright, they can't even look upon him. And the great miracle here is that Christ has concealed his nature underneath his humanity for for these 30 some odd years. And now, just now, does he he peel back just a little bit of the sticker, just just a taste of the curtain so that they can see the real Jesus. And when his glory begins to just invade this space, they can't even contain it. Like they don't know what to do with it. The beauty of this is that we see that Christ temporarily gives up his glory and he wraps himself in an earth suit of human skin and he comes down to dwell among us. He walks among us as a man and he gives up this greater glory for the sake of seeking his sons and daughters that we might come to know him. If you look really close, you'll see the real Jesus, you'll see the tenderness, you'll see the meekness, that he could do anything he wants to, but he exercises so much control and resolve. So my second point to you is, as you follow, you've got to discover or rediscover the awe that is Jesus. You have to be captivated by him. And so Jesus says, You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And you can't do this daily thing unless you're absolutely overwhelmed and captivated by the darling of heaven, by the King of Kings Jesus, not just a Jesus, the real Jesus. Oh, man and for all the glories of this world the political glories the sports glories the business world even in the church world his glory just it so outshines them all it is a worthy glory it is greater and in God's moment he comes on the scene he's like wait 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 um let me get in on this right and so he adds his stamp. He seals the deal. In the middle of it, Jesus starts talking with these two Old Testament OGs. There's Elijah and there's Moses and they're like, you know, kicking it. You're like, why? There's like having a party. What's going on? And I think, (coughs) I think the context of it has to be something like, you know, I was persecuted while I was here. You really going to do this, Jesus? Like, are you for real? Is this legit? Like, are you going to go through with this? And <laughs> the Trump card is this: you know Moses, he represents the law. this is some theology here. Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, but Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things, and God puts his stamp upon him, and he says, "This is my son, hear him." And at this moment in matthew... Uh, this voice is so booming that that the disciples this is the moment that they're afraid they can't look at Jesus because he's bright and shining so they're already kind of cowering but at this moment their faces just hit the floor because the glory of God is so overwhelming like there's just this awe just just this captivation about who Jesus is. And God says, look, you guys are, are debating whether you know, he's, he's maybe Elijah returned or whether he's John the Baptist or whatever. I'm telling you, he's my son. All the other voices in this world, all the other distractions, all the other things, they don't matter. He matters, period. This is my son, hear him. And God commands his holy fear to fall upon him. You know, as, uh, as I, I know, I've got a lot of different age ranges. I've got, got my students over here. I got some of you guys, your, your grandpas, your fathers, your husbands, your teachers, your coaches, your business owners, your employees, uh, your, your grandpas, your peepaws, your whatever. But our influence in society is major. I did, I climbed a mountain with Johnny last year and a multitude of other guys, Lee Martin as well. And it was incredible. It was amazing. I had my own mountaintop experience. And there's probably never one of those groups that ever happens where somebody doesn't sit around and start talking about their daddy issues, where somebody doesn't sit around and start talking about how their life has been defined by the affirming voice of a father or the lack thereof. But what we, what we touch, and, and this is why this is important, is because what we touch is, is shaped by our strengths, talents, abilities, and experiences. And that's, that's real, but most importantly, it's shaped by whatever is in functional control of our hearts. And if you see Jesus and you look at him and you say, man, I, 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 want, I want you, Jesus. Like, I want, I, want to, I want to follow you. If that's always in functional control of your heart, then brother, you're gonna be just fine. You're gonna be all right. But some of you might say, you know what? I used to have that passion. I used to have that fire. I used to have that burn in me for, for Christ. How do I get it back? Man, I... <laughs> I don't have a really good answer for you, I'm sorry. I don't know that there's a specific strategy that I can tell you, but I will say this. Let's look in the word and see what it says. Let's look at verse 36 of Luke nine. It says, when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days of any of the things they had seen. In Matthew, it says that when the dust basically settles, it's just Jesus standing there. And And he looks down at Peter and he goes, hey, hey man, don't be afraid. It's just me. He tells him, arise. He extends his hand to him in Matthew 17, verse seven. He says, arise, don't be afraid. I will say this to you. If you feel like that fire's died out a little bit and you look around, kind of like my situation when I was 25 and I've, I've gone through different series of just like brokenness even since then. But there are times where I find that, all right, Jesus, you're the only one that's left. And if you find yourself in that situation, then what I would say to you is is run to him. Run to him, like throw off everything, like everything that would try try to, to 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 draw your attention away from him. Throw it down and just run to him as hard and as fast as you can. And that doesn't seem like very like the best, you know, most intellectual logic or whatever, but it's real. Run to Jesus, sell out to the gospel because Christ remains. And he shows us here, even after really spiritual experiences. And this is what's kind of crazy about this moment on this mountain. This is a very spiritual experience. And and our tendency is a lot like Peter. Hey, whoa, this is cool. Hey, uh, how about I build three tents right here? Three tabernacles for you, for Elijah, and for Moses. Sweet deal, right, God? Cool, now we can just hang out here for all of eternity, right? It'll be great. And Peter, man, he means well. Verse 33, he goes, master, it's good. Come on, man, this is is a good thing. Let's just build some tents and do this. Man, I so want to be able to bottle up the epic moments. And I think this right here in Luke 9 tells us what we can do with those moments. Peter means well, he means really well, but he can't comprehend the fullness of what's happening. He just can't. He can't comprehend the fullness of what's happening. What about the other nine? There's three up on the hill. What about the other nine? What about Israel? What about the whole Gentile world, huh? No, I'm sorry, Peter, but we can't stay here. We can't stay here. It's time for us to stay on mission. There's too much at stake. See, this is, this is not the thing. What awaits is greater than this thing that's happening here on this mountaintop right now, Peter. What awaits down the hill looks devastating, it looks brutal, it looks scary, it looks like the cross, but that's what awaits us. So we gotta move on mission. So now, like Peter, we rise, we take his hand, we agree to track back down the mountain, walking with the one who came up the mountain with us and has been with us the whole time, beyond that holy experience, even past the big epic church moments Jesus still remains. He still walks with them. He still walks with us. So like Christ, guys, we move on mission. Aware that like him, what this life requires of us is to take up the cross daily. I'm not gonna stand in front of you today and try to share a message without putting it on the cross. I just can't. I wanna wrap up with you guys today by reading from John 17 which is a beautiful scripture. Jesus, he's about to go to the cross. It's the end of it all. He looks, he's basically praying to the Father and he says, all right, I've done all the things you've called me to do. What remains? And this is what he says in John 17, 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which I have given, which you have given me, for you love me for the foundation of the world. The New King King James is what I'm reading from. The English Standard says, "I've, I've been with them. I'm gonna continue to be with them. Christ, the intercessor, remains with us. And I challenge you this morning, gentlemen, my students, you gentlemen. I love these epic moments. I wanna go up the mountain and I just wanna stay there. And I think if I could even say this and, and speak prophetically for a second, I think for some of you, you realize maybe that's where your heart is. I just, I just wanna stay right here. Jesus, don't mess up my junk. Don't, don't get in my business. Like, I just, I just need this right now. I just had a big win in my business. I just had a big win for my team. I just had a big win in my life. I just had big money hit the bank. I just had something really big happen in my life. And I just, I just need this. And I just need you to sustain this for all time. And Christ looks at you and he goes, This is a good thing, but we, you can't stay here. I'm sorry. You can't stay here. And the reason we can't stay here is because there's work to be done. See, everything that's nutrient providing flows from the top of the mountain down into the valley. And so there's a whole metaphor here. Jesus goes from the mountain down into the valley with his men. He's gonna go to the cross. Eventually, everybody that's walking with him is gonna go. To the grave in some kind of capacity. But Jesus, he's working in you now. He's working through you and he's working in you to accomplish this mission in whatever capacity you have. Maybe, I don't know, that's in your business. Maybe that's in, maybe you came this morning because you're just, hey, you know, my boss said, come on, because there's like lots of bacon and I really like bacon, you know? Or maybe you're just a student and you're thinking, you know, what, what does God really have for me? I'll just do this sports thing because I'm really good at it. But God's redeeming you and he wants to do redemption through you. And so you can't, you can't stay in that place. Like Peter, you come back down the mountain And God is going to begin to move through you and in you to redeem a culture, to redeem people, to redeem a generation, to redeem a broken Tulsa because that is the greater work. That is the greater glory that is at stake. And that is what is required. He did it then guys, and he does it now. He did it in his disciples and he's doing it in you. And I know that we all have very important things in our lives, but the most important thing in our lives is this mandate to build the kingdom. That's priority number one. Gentlemen, fellas, stay on mission. Thank you.